Well, good morning, Cypress Bible Church. So glad to have you worshiping with us today. We want to begin our service with a call to worship, and I want to try to inspire you this morning by the word of faith. Faith is something that the scripture defines as the reality of what is hoped for and the proof of what is not seen. And here in 2020, we have an opportunity to believe God for some big things. And so I don't know what you want to believe God for today, but I bet you there's some dream that he's given you. There's something that he has growing inside of you that he needs you to take a step of faith in. And we have examples in faith right here in chapter 11. It says this, you remember the story of Noah. By faith, Noah, after he was was warned about what was yet to seen and motivated by God's godly fear, he built an ark to deliver his family. And then it says, by faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. You know, before the ark had been built, there wasn't even rain on the earth. They didn't even know what that was. And by faith, Noah said, I believe I'm going to build this and end up saving his family. And then we have Abraham, such a great picture of faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. Have you ever taken a step forward thinking, I don't know how this is going to end, but I know that God is leading me in this direction. So this morning as we worship the Lord, I want to worship the Lord with faith, believing in something that hasn't been seen yet. And there's hope in that because we don't really have control, right, of what's about to happen. So what is it? What is that thing that God is maybe calling you to believe Him for that hasn't really happened yet in your life? We want to respond to the Lord in worship and in faith, which is what pleases God, the scripture says. So would you stand together with us and let's sing this out. There's nothing that our God can do. There's not a mountain that he can move. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can do. We believe. There's nothing that our God can't do. There's not a prison wall He can't break through. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can't do. Hey, we also want to welcome those who are joining us online today. I want you to stand where you are, worship with us. Church family, let's lift this song of faith up to the Lord. Sing your praise. Just one word, you calm the storm that surrounds me. Just one word, the darkness has to retreat. Just one touch, I feel the presence of heaven. Just one touch, my eyes are open to see, my heart can't help but believe. There's nothing that our God can't do, there's not a mountain that He can't move. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can't do. Just one word, 
you hear what's broken inside me. Oh, thank you, Lord. Just one word, and you revive every dream. Just one touch, I feel the power of heaven. Just one touch, my eyes are open to see. My heart can't help but believe. There's nothing that our God can't do. There's not a mountain that He can move. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can't do. Oh, there's nothing that our God can't do. There's not a prison wall He can't break through. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we believe. Sing this out, I believe. I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise. Let all agree. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Sing it out in faith. I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise. Let all agree. There's no power like the power of Jesus. I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise. Let all agree. There's no power like His power. There's nothing that our God can do. There's not a mountain that He can move. Yeah. Oh, praise the name that makes the way. There's nothing that our God can do. There's nothing that our God can't do. There's not a prison wall He can't break through. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can't do. Oh, praise the name. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can't do. Oh, praise the name. That makes a way There's nothing that our God can do Yeah We believe Oh, we believe in you Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus Do you feel that empty feeling? Cause shame's done all it's stealing And you're desperate for some healing Let me tell you about my Jesus He makes a way where there ain't no way Rises up from an empty grave Ain't no sinner that he can't say Let me tell you 
my guilty Who would care that much about me Let me tell you about my Jesus Oh He makes a way where there ain't no way Rises up from an empty be seated as we continue. John, would you come? Good morning, CBC. Uh, well, I'm John Perez. I'm one of your elders here. And at CBC, we like to say, beginning where you are, becoming more like Jesus. And by this, we mean that you're welcome. You're welcome to gather. You're welcome to grow. And so we encourage you to gather in life-changing worship. Uh, we also encourage you to grow in small groups and fellowship with one another and we also encourage every one of y'all to go out. Go out and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Share with those who are around you that Jesus is king and that his goodness is forever and true. If you're new at CBC, you might find behind your pews a QR code. And that, that's there so that you could scan it and you can learn more about CBC. And uh, just check out to see what we're all about. And find learning opportunity for us as believers. It's going to be uh, the church, it's going to be the Spanish ministries, the Creole ministries, the children's ministry are going to be involved in this new study. Uh, it's beginning January 16th and it's called The Struggle is Real, where we answer real existential questions, right? How does God answer these questions for us? And so now I invite you to pray with me. Eternal Father, we thank you because your goodness is forever, O oh Lord, and you're with us. And we praise you, O oh Lord. We praise you because you answer our questions and you come to us in love with total grace. And you offer us what the world cannot offer us and you satisfy that which cannot, the world cannot satisfy. We thank you, Lord, and we ask that you would be with us today. That you would be in our midst and that you would move amongst us through our worship and through the preaching of the word. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, John. Hey, we're so glad you came to worship today. 2022 has begun and we can gather together as a church family and focus our hearts, our attention, our minds, all that onto Jesus. And we talked about earlier about faith and about believing in things that we don't see yet. But you know what? It takes trust to have faith. And trust is built as you go back and see time and time again, somebody has come through, right? Somebody is a man or a woman of their word in your life and you remember that you can trust them. Well, Jesus is one who has always kept his promise, somebody who has never failed 
someone who is faithful, even when we are faithless, the scripture says, God is faithful. And so we want to continue to worship and remembering that who we're worshiping is always trustworthy. And if he is trustworthy, then we can put our faith in him. Amen? Would you stand together with us, church? Let's continue to worship the Lord and sing about our trust in Jesus. out with Bonnie as she leads us.
trust in precious Jesus. invite you church family to close your eyes with me and if you haven't had a chance yet this morning through all that has already happened to focus your heart on the Lord then now is the time remembering what we have said that there is nothing that God cannot do maybe you're facing a struggle or a challenge in your life a hurt in your heart and the pain just seems so deep that you think I'll never get through this how can I forgive or how can I be healed from this hurt. The scripture gives us encouragement that Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted and to set the prisoner free. And if you're wounded or hurt, you're in bondage and God wants to set you free. And it's a journey. It doesn't just happen all the time in one day and one experience. But God promises that he will walk you through whatever you are walking in, whatever hurt that is so deep and so hard. Jesus is really right there. In fact, the scripture promises that he is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. This is what he does. But maybe this morning for the first time, you're hearing this message of Jesus in the gospel and you've never responded. This is an opportunity to respond to a Jesus that has changed our lives that there is no sinner, I love that, that he can't save. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And then John three seventeen. oh, I love this verse. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus did not come to tell you how bad you are. He came to save you. He knew that there was a gap between man and God that could not be bridged by any other way except for him. And so God chose to send and sacrifice his son, Jesus, on the cross. And he took all of our sin and put it on his shoulders. And the scripture says he became sin even. And he died. And then he rose again. And in the rising again, he defeated sin and death. And he has offered us this new abundant life as a gift. It's nothing we could do to earn on our own. And Jesus is the one who is worthy of praise because of how much he loves us and has done for us. Who is worthy? Jesus is worthy. When you have experienced this grace, there is nothing in your heart more prominent than gratitude then thanks, and then praise, which is a natural response to what God has done in your life. So we worship the lamb who was slain, the one who is worthy. And as we continue in our worship, I invite you to worship the one and only Jesus, worthy of our praise.
Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Do you wish that you could see it all made new? Is all creation groaning? Is a new creation coming? Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? Is it good that we remind ourselves of Sing, is anyone worthy? Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who dies to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy of this? Yes. Does the Father truly love us? Does the Spirit move among us? And does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those He loves? He does. Does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. Is anyone worthy? the grave He's David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the same from every people and tribe every nation and tongue He has made us a kingdom of priests to God to reign with the Son Is He worthy? Is He worthy of all
Amen. Amen. Lord, you are worthy of the highest praise. We resound with the scripture. We just sang the word of God to you, a blessing and honor and glory and power and dominion and might and everything else we can throw in there to you alone because you are worthy of the highest praise. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to rescue us. We needed you. We could not do it without you. And thank you for coming in grace, not to condemn, but to rescue and to save and to turn us into your image after you have got us. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We worship you. We set you at the highest place. It's in your powerful and strong name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. The letter to the Colossians addressed the problem of a false teaching which had crept into the church. And while the details of this letter are not sufficient that we would be able to label the specific teaching, there is a piece of evidence that uh, allows us to believe or to think that this teaching might have been systematized. And in this teaching, they promoted the worship of angels. Furthermore, the teaching promoted the pursuit of ecstatic visions and then the exposition and the preaching of those visions. However, this ancient system of thought was described by the Apostle Paul to have come from the flesh and to have been based on the traditions and the principles of this world. This philosophy, although it had appeared profoundly spiritual, had no meaningful spiritual value at all. And the Apostle Paul's way of confronting this philosophy was by utilizing what many have come to identify as a first century hymn that was used by the church. We find this hymn in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And the Apostle Paul used it to prime his ideas, to prepare them for the rest of this letter and how he addressed this false teaching. And this hymn has what many songs today do not have. It has a high Christology. It exalts Christ. There is no ambiguity as to what the hymn is about. Many songs today do have that problem. You don't know whether it's talking about the boyfriend or girlfriend or Jesus. And you don't have a hint of the works of God in those songs. But as we're going to see, this hymn does an excellent job of exalting Christ as supreme. We're going to see, first of all, in verses 15 through 17, that Jesus is to be worshipped because he is supreme over all creation. Furthermore, we see in verses 18 through 20 that Jesus is to be worshipped because he is supreme over the church. 
And finally, we see that although it doesn't belong to the hymn, the Apostle Paul encourages the church to worship Christ because he is supreme over our salvation. Let's take a look first at verses 15 through 18, or 15 through 17. That Jesus is supreme over creation. We read, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In verse 15, Paul begins to explain to the Colossians how Jesus is supreme over all creation by using by what might be the strongest language in the New Testament, which teaches us that Christ is divine. He wrote this by saying that Christ is the image of the invisible God. Now, the word image does not mean that Jesus was simply a copy of God. We shouldn't understand this word to mean that in the sense of a painter or someone who sculpts in the likeness of a person. No. The Apostle Paul meant to explain to his audience that Jesus was the exact same nature and essence of God. Scripture reveals to us that God is transcendent and that because of our sin, we are unable to behold God and we're unable to have fellowship with God. In fact, we see through the life of Moses that he requested to see the glory of God. The Lord would not allow him to see the full glory or else he would die. And so he was allowed to see the backside of glory and behind the rock. Furthermore, we see how the Apostle Paul described God in 1 Timothy 6.16 to have dwelt in unapproachable light. And that because of this unapproachable light, no one could see God. But yet we have in Jesus Christ the perfect revelation of the divine nature. To have seen Jesus Christ was to see the living God face to face. To have heard the voice of Christ teach was to have heard the voice of Almighty God. Furthermore, to have been touched by the hand of Jesus was to have been touched by the hand of Almighty God. And it's for this reason that the author to the letter to the Hebrews, we find he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Furthermore, we observe that Paul described Jesus' supremacy over creation when he wrote that Jesus was the firstborn of all creation. Now, many have taken this title and they stripped it of its Hebrew context. We have those who belong to the Jehovah's Witnesses cult who strip it of the context and say that Jesus was the first created being by God. But they can only do so by removing that context. While it is true that this title, firstborn, was given to those who were born in first chronologically, we observe that this title was not always used in that sense. This title was used to describe a person who possessed the privileges and honor amongst the family. They were prominent amongst their siblings. 
we see how the title firstborn was applied to Israel. Now, Israel was not the first nation of the earth. But this title was given to her so that Pharaoh and the rest of the world who had to understand that Israel was prominent among them. Furthermore, we observe how Isaac, who was the second-born child, the second-born son of Abraham, received the privilege of being the firstborn. And it is in this way that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. He is prominent over all of the creation. He is supreme. He is preeminent. And the entire universe rightfully belongs to him. Verses 16 through 17 further expound upon Jesus' supremacy. For we read that he created all things. This verse supports not only the divine nature of Jesus, but it also tells us that he is, the, he is eternal. That he is not bound by time. For if Jesus had been created, this verse would not make any sense. Paul did not say that everything was created except for Jesus. Everything was created by him. No, we read that all things were created by Jesus Christ. And to remove all doubt, Paul defined all. He wrote, all things both in heavens and in the earth, visible and invisible. Now this covers two categories of everything that exists. On one hand, we have the spiritual and the intangible category, which includes angels and demons and even the laws which govern our existence. And on the other hand, we have this other category of that which is physical. We place all kinds of creatures, such as animals, humans, molecules, celestial bodies, galaxies, all created by Jesus. And it's important to understand that Jesus is creator. But Jesus also has a special relationship to its creation, for he is sovereign over all. We read in verse 16 that he also created thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. What does this mean? It means that Jesus is not in some cosmic battle with evil. Nor is Jesus wishing that the governments would submit to his eternal purpose. No. Christ is an authority. And he gives to whomever he pleases authority to rule over this earth. Furthermore, when we think about it in the context of this letter, what the Apostle Paul is saying is that Christ is to be worshipped, not angels, because it is Christ who is the Lord of angelic armies, and not even those blessed angels as he lord over, but also over the forces of evil does he have power. This is difficult for many to understand. And the reason why is because we're influenced by pop culture. We see God through the lens of pop culture. How many of y'all like to watch Star Wars? Any Star Wars fans here? If you like Star Trek, we'll be praying for you later on. <laughs> but if you prefer Star Wars, you're going to understand that there's a dualistic philosophy in that movie. There's the Force, and the Jedis have the Force. You have the dark side. And oftentimes, the will of man is the deciding factor as to who prevails. But beloved, let me tell you that this is not our God. 
God is declared to be the author and the finisher of faith. He is creator. He is Lord over all. And all things are submitted to his authority. Furthermore, let us not miss that last part of verse 16 that teaches us that all things have been created for Jesus. Now, you might know someone who loves attention. And that when they come and into a conversation, they like to divert that conversation to themselves. You could be with your group of friends and you're talking about the news or maybe something personal. But here comes old Joe. And old Joe, he wants to direct that conversation to himself. If your name's Joe, I'm not talking about you, okay? But why, what do we call such people? Narcissists. And why are they frowned upon in our, in our society, in our culture? Because most people understand that such an attitude is a distortion of love. To no one belongs such attention. No one deserves all the attention of the world. No one deserves to be the center of all conversation. But here, beloved, we have revealed to us in Scripture that Christ is worthy of all devotion and attention because he is Christ who created the world. He is Christ who created the universe by the power of his word. And so to him belongs the glory. Finally, we observe in these three verses that Jesus is supreme over all creation because it is he who is before all things and he sustains all things. He holds all things together. Paul is emphatic to remind us that Jesus has the position of supremacy over creation by writing, he is before all things. Not that Christ was before all things or that Christ is to become before all things, but that he is present, active, indicative verb of being. He is before all things. That should lead us to ask ourselves, is Christ before all things in my life? Does Christ hold my affections? When I awake in the morning, do I worship Christ? At noontime, do I pray to him? At evening, do I give him honor and glory? I encourage you, brethren, love him. Worship him, for he is our sustainer. He sustains us. And at the thought of that, my mind is captivated by the mystery of Jesus Christ. For we just celebrated Advent. We celebrated the birth and incarnation of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, as a child, was laid in the manger. He was fed. He was cared for. But not one moment did he stop becoming or being God. He never stopped being God. And as that infant child laid in the manger, he sustained the entire universe. Did you awake this morning? If you did, it's because Christ sustained you overnight. Did you make it here safe today? If so, it is because Christ protected you. It is Christ who by his grace and his great love allows us to meet together as a church so that we might worship him on this Lord's day. And for this reason, we can say, glory be to Christ Jesus. Not only is Jesus supreme over creation, but he's also supreme over the new creation, which is the church. We read in verses 18 through 20, 
He is also the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him I say whether things on earth or things in heaven. We read in verse 18 that he is the head of the body, the church. And church, I ask that you would not allow this phrase, this description to pass you by without it awakening your affection and love for Jesus Christ. Because we see through this passage that we have a closeness with Christ, which the rest of creation does not have. We do not read that Jesus is the head of creation, though he certainly is Lord over it. But we read here that he is our head, and that he chose to make us his body. We have these words of kinship that should awaken us to love Christ and to worship him. So Jesus is not only our Lord, but he is our head. And from him do we have life, joy, happiness, and security. So often we observe in this world how leaders, employers, kings, presidents, they rule with cruelty. And they do so from selfish ambition. But this is not our Christ. He loves us. He loves you. He loves you so much that he has taken you and received you into his body. You are his. And he is yours. We also read in verse 18 that Jesus is the beginning of the church. It should take us back to the words of Genesis where we read in 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we have here in Colossians a creation motif. For we read that he, Jesus, is the beginning. Jesus is the beginning of the church because he created it. You not remember how Jesus told Peter, upon this church, I will build my church. Upon this rock, I will build it, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, will not overpower it. But the question should be asked, how did Jesus create the church, and how did Jesus become supreme over the church? He did so by becoming the firstborn from the dead. The resurrection power of the triune God established this church. Elsewhere in John, we see how it was the Father who gave unto Jesus those whom would be the church. And then in Titus, we see how it is the Holy Spirit who causes those who are given to Jesus to become born again. But how does the resurrection of Jesus demonstrate Jesus' supremacy over the church? Well, we read in Jesus' beautiful parable of the Good Shepherd how Christ compared the religious leaders of Israel to thieves and robbers who had come to steal and to kill and to destroy the people of Israel. But Jesus went on to explain that he was far superior than those leaders because Christ came to give life, life in abundance. But how could they have come to trust him? In words, first of all, he 
described his commitment to his people. He said that he would lay down his life for his sheep. That he would die in their place. But furthermore, he said something very interesting about his death. For we read in John 10, 18, no one has taken it, speaking of his life, away from me. But I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. And so, beloved Jesus is supreme in the church because he alone has demonstrated authority and power over life and death itself. He, by the power of his will, overcame death. And we can say together with the apostle, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Furthermore, we read in verse 19 that Jesus is supreme in the church because it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. And this truth was so important for the Colossians to believe and to understand that the apostle wrote it again in chapter 2, verse 9, when he wrote, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. In other words, in relation to the Colossian believers, they were not to worship angels. They were wrong in doing so. What is it that we worship? What do we put first in our life? Let me encourage you to worship Christ. Because he is supreme over the church. Finally, we observe how the apostle wrote in verse 20. That Jesus is supreme in the church because it is he who is to reconcile all things to himself. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. Now what Paul is pointing out is that Jesus alone is able to reconcile. To make peace between sinner and God. When Job was afflicted with suffering, when he was afflicted with the death of his children, when he lost all of his wealth, he came to the realization of how terrible his condition was. He said, if I should wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with lye, yet you would plunge me into the pit and my own clothes would abhor me. For God is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, or that we may go to court together, and there is no umpire between us who may lay his hand upon us both. What is Job saying? He's saying that he could do all the righteous things in his life, that he could make himself appear beautiful. That he could do with all his efforts, do what he needs to do to try to get right. But if God sees and declares Job guilty, then who could save Job? But glory be to Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus Christ, we have a perfect mediator. In Jesus Christ, we have a great savior. In Jesus Christ, we have one who is both God and man who can reconcile the sinner unto God. And it is for this reason that Christ is to be worshipped in the church because he is the one who reconciles us back 
to the Father. And the Christ hymn finishes at verse 20. But it's good to go over verses 21 to 23 because it is here where we observe that Paul encourages the believers to worship Christ for his supremacy over salvation. We read, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Paul started this last point by reminding his audience in verse 20 of their salvation from their former alienation, hostility, and evil deeds. This point is not unique to this group of believers. It's not. It's a universal condition. It is true of all those who have not who do not and will not place their trust in the works of Christ and in the person of Christ. Every single person, because of alienation and estrangement of God, is hostile in their minds towards God. And this act of alienation is not just a physical separation from God. It's much more. It is an act that produced lasting consequences. When our father Adam sinned, he gave unto us this nature which hates God. A state of estrangement, an alienation, a hostility towards God. And what makes this alienation so, uh, from God so troubling is that we do not become condemned. We do not become alienated. Instead, we are born in this state. We were born inheriting the guilt and condemnation of our father, Adam. We read in Romans 5, 19, For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. This excludes the possibility of even one person standing before God, apart from Jesus Christ, and laying a claim to innocence. Even if one could, not that he can, but even if one could, not sin throughout their life. They still have the problem of Adam's imputed guilt upon them. But we read in verse 22 of how Jesus is supreme in our salvation because it was he who came to be our substitute. I ask you, what could Christ have gained from us? What could you have given him? What could I have given him to have made of some benefit to him? For Christ was always holy, pure, and blameless. And furthermore, he enjoyed perfect fellowship with the Father and with the Holy Spirit, yet it pleased God for the second person of the Trinity to come down, take on flesh, and die in our place. But it wasn't just that Christ died for us, but that he endured in him a judicial separation from the Father, do we not remember and recall the words of Christ upon that hill? How he cried out from his cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
It was our guilt that merited the wrath of God, but it was placed on Jesus Christ for you. It was our sin, our transgression that merited that judicial separation from God for all eternity, but it was placed upon cross upon Christ in those hours of his death. Who could do that for you? Who could endure the wrath of God for you? Only Christ could have propitiated. Only Christ could have satisfied this wrath and this debt which you and I could not have paid. So that when the Father sees us, it is not our guilt that he sees. But it is the pure and blameless life of Christ with which we are clothed. And that is why we should worship Christ. And finally, in verse 23, we got a doozy here. We got something that we got to deal with. And we should not shy away from it. Because it appears to be a conditional statement. Now, Paul is saying that, yes, you will be presented blameless and perfect before the Father if you continue in the faith. If you're firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope. What do we do with this? Well, allow me to remind you that there is in Scripture a wealth of passages that give us assurance, that give us hope that those whom Christ saves, he saves perfectly and that he secures them for all of eternity. One of these passages is found in John chapter 6, verses 39 through 40, from the lips of Jesus himself. We read in that passage This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on that last day. Beloved, we have this great promise that if you have seen the Lord Jesus Christ with eyes of faith, that if you have heard the call of the great shepherd, your shepherd, who calls unto you, come unto me, you will be saved. You are saved and you forever will be saved and you have that great promise that Christ one day will descend from heaven. He will descend with heaven with a great shout with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Jesus Christ will rise first, and we who remain by the grace of God will be lifted up to dwell with our God forevermore. So what do we do with this verse then? Given this previous promise and the many like it, I think it would do us well to understand this verse to be the means by which God spurs his people to persevere. We have passages like this to awaken our hearts. We have passages like this to awaken our obedience unto Christ. And all those who will belong to Christ will persevere to the end by the grace of God. This is not to say that we would never experience times or seasons in which our faith becomes cold. And this is not to say that we might not ever commit egregious sin. 
but God preserves his people to the end by the word and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when we read passages like this, be encouraged because you are a son or daughter whom the Father is drawing unto himself with words of affection. I'm encouraged. And I hope that you are too. Scripture declares to us this day that Jesus is God. It declares that Jesus is supreme over all creation because he created it. He sustains it. He created powers and authorities and rulers and dominions, angels, demons, galaxies, stars, molecules, everything. He created it. And he is supreme over creation. Scripture declares to us this day that Christ is supreme over the church. He is supreme because he rose from the dead and gave life to the church. He calls us his friends. He draws us close with words of affection. And he died in our place. Christ is supreme in Cyprus Bible Church. Christ is supreme over our salvation for no good works can we be saved unless they are the good works of Jesus Christ. He is supreme over our salvation. He is a great Savior who saves to the utmost. And for this reason, we worship Jesus Christ as creator of the universe, creator of the church, and giver of salvation. So what do we do with all this? We worship him. Worship him. Love him. Love him well. Love him with all of your heart. Love him with all of your soul, your mind, and your strength. As you come to church, worship Christ here. As you go out from these buildings, love him. Worship him. As you instruct your children in the paths of righteousness, you worship Christ. As you work to your employer, as you work unto Christ, it is your form of spiritual service unto God. And as you share the gospel and good news of Jesus Christ to your neighbor, that is your worship unto God. Serve him well. I invite you to pray. O eternal Father, we thank you for Christ who is supreme over all. We are unworthy creatures. But we thank you because you loved us in our state of enmity with you. We love you, Lord, because you first loved us. We love you because though we were not worthy, you have given us the privileges and benefits that come through union with Jesus Christ. We love you, O oh God, because with your Holy Spirit, you indwell us. Oh, to be in perfect fellowship with Christ. There's no sweeter thing than that. And so we worship you, O oh God. To you belong the honor and the glory and the praise forevermore. Amen. Church family, we have an opportunity to respond to this Christ. Thank you, John, for leading us today to respond to him in worship right now. So let me invite you to stand together and let's worship Jesus in the fullness of what we have heard about in the word of God today. In Christ alone, 
My hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. I stand in your love. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones He came to save, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied For every sin on Him was laid Here in the death of Christ I live, oh I live There in the ground body lay, light of the world by darkness lay. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, sin's curse has Precious blood of Christ. 
Cypress Bible Church. To Christ belong all the glory. Go serve your king. Go love him. Worship him. Receive this benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace.